Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. Good morning. Happy Memorial Day. Hope you guys came in with a little juice, because I sure did, so uh, my energy will probably uh, carry yours if yours is a little deficient, okay? (laughs) All right, here we go. Um, We are doing a little one-off message today, uh, but those who are here, you guys get the super reward uh, of what God's going to lay out. So, um, yeah, we're going to look at a key element, a key aspect of what Jesus trained in his disciples and he, as he equipped them for kingdom work. This was one of the two main uh, things that Jesus gave his disciples, and we're going to look at that this morning. But as we do, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time we have before your word. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit, God, would speak to us. God, illuminate your word in our life. And Lord, let us leave here with a charge that, God, we heard from you. And, Lord, we know that as we hear from you, God, you give us all your provision. God, you give us your resources from heaven. God, unlimited supply from you. God, when we connect with you and, God, hear from you. So, God, again, Lord, we just want to hear from you, be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I've been a uh, homeowner for... Um, 23 years, and one of the things that uh, owning a home, anything that you kind of own, but definitely a home, is that you uh, always you have to make the decision of do I pay for this work or do I watch a YouTube video and do it myself? Right? That's like the super big challenge of a homeowner is how do I save money because money is kind of leaving faster than I thought it would. So uh, how do I save money? And so. Usually, uh, you kind of pick up a YouTube uh, uh, instruction video, but more often than not, uh, the tools that they have in that video are probably the tools that they obviously need. Uh, And then you watch that video, and then you're like, oh, I don't have that tool. Can I makeshift a tool? You know, can I I duct tape a tool together? Could I uh, Jimmy rig something? Uh, I don't have that tool that he has. Can I maybe get by with something else? But there's nothing like having a friend, the tool friend, you know? The guy that loves all the tools, has all the tools, and you call that brother up and you say, hey, man, I need a tool. Do you have this? Oh, man, I got it. Let me be right over. And then that job becomes a different story, right? Instead of a nightmare that usually you have to go to the hardware store three, four, seven times to find the right thing, here comes your friend with the right power tool. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to give his disciples. They are functioning off of their natural tools, and Jesus is trying to give them supernatural power tools to do kingdom work. But nobody thinks about asking or living out these power tools. Okay? So that's what we're going to get in. So we're going to start off with this little conundrum the disciples uh, found themselves in, in Matthew 17. 
Matthew 17, verse 19, it says, Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Basically, there was a, a, a person that had epileptic-type uh, manifestations from this demon, and um, they, the disciples tried to pray, and nothing happened. They tried to pray, nothing happened, and finally they took him to Jesus. Jesus is like, oh man, you faithless generation, how much, how much longer should I put up with you? And he prays for this guy, casts out the demon, and then the disciples are like afterwards asking Jesus this question, how come we couldn't cast out this demon when you easily could? To which he replies, Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. Okay, that's a clear answer. You don't have enough faith. Don't hear that much. Jesus told them, I said, I, he said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. This powerful rebuke by Jesus in which that they're, they're, they're desperately learning. Many times we get education that we don't really value. Uh, we, we get it, and then we kind of remember about 5% of it. But this type of education that Jesus is giving his disciples is, walk with me, follow me, watch what I do, and I'm going to train you to do the same thing. And that's what the disciples were getting from Jesus. And here, they just can't do it. Jesus said, this demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. So what is this? Prayer and fasting are God's supernatural, ultimate power tools for you as a kingdom person, man and woman, living on this side of heaven. God wants you operating in these two tools. Prayer and fasting are some of the key ingredients to walking in faith and being able to do what God has called you to do. We can easily just say, hey, here's, my, here's what I naturally can do. Here's what I can naturally feel like I'm kind of made for. And then here's how I can naturally relate with other people. And here's how I can naturally kind of go on in life. But that's everyone else's vision. Jesus is trying to take a group of disciples that have been living off of the currency of the world and their vision of what for their life should become. They're just mere fishermen. This is what life is dictating to us we should become. But Jesus gets on the scene and says, no, I'm trying to elevate your way of seeing things from a natural way of seeing things to a kingdom way of seeing things. And this is my lenses upon which I walk around and I'm going to train you how to have the exact same lenses that I do. Because Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. That comes completely foreign if we're just operating out of a natural life. And so it's very easy for us when we kind of look around Christian culture even here today and we kind of like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting by, you know, I'm pretty nice. I don't yell at people, you know, if they cut me off, I kind of wave at them, you know, I'm kind of that kind of Christian. I'm kind of that kind of person. But Jesus gets on the scene and he's like, no, I have made you for more than that. I have made you in my image. I have given you not only my Holy Spirit, but I'm giving you my authority. 
And the charge that God has given to me, I'm going to give to you. Expand my kingdom to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm gifting it to you for you to operate in the authority that I've given you. To take dominion in the way that God takes dominion and not the way man takes dominion. So, Jesus knew Jesus knew this, this aspect of connecting with his Father. Not only did he fast extendedly at the beginning of his ministry, but he regularly spent time with his Father throughout it. Mark 1 says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. This is Jesus. You think, hey, if anybody on planet Earth didn't need to do that, it would be God in the flesh. But he does. Later, Simon and the others went out to him and find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. You ever reach that? You know, find, lose a kid, and then you finally find him, and you're like, ah, everyone's looking for you, you know? I'm sure that wasn't, uh, like, dude, where's Jesus? <laughs> like, dude, he left us. Anyway, Luke 5 does it again. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Where's your power source? It's not being in front of other people. It's being in the closet with the creator of the universe. How about Luke 6? Verse 12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. And usually, whenever you look at the Gospels and Jesus goes off to pray by himself, watch out. Watch what follows him doing that. It's usually something very significantly that spiritually happens right after he does that. It's like he goes, he checks in, orients his compass, gets marching orders, and then he just goes out and does what he heard his father say to do. Prayer is communion with God. A lot of times we can religify this word prayer and we can kind of compartmentalize it into kind of a special category of talking with God. We can kind of uh, think, well, a prayer needs to look like we fill in the blank, depending upon your background or your experience. Jesus is trying to say, trying to communicate to disciples, prayer is just communion with God. Prayer is communing with with God. Prayer is giving God your burdens, right? That's well, a lot of times that what brings us there is that we got a battle to fight. Something's going on. Uh, and so prayer is where God, here is my battles. This is what's weighing me down. This is what's on my mind. This is what I can't, I can't fall asleep because this is running through. God, I give this to you. It's a huge aspect of prayer. Because in that, you're gaining faith and wisdom for those things. You're gaining direction and peace over those things in your heart as you bring your battles to him. But then at the same time, as you give God your burdens, God gives you his. As we pray and spend time with God, it's interesting of how the things that would consume our mind and imagination and our fears, how when, uh, when we get close to the Lord, how those dissipate and disappear. And we finally feel anchored. We finally feel like we have a semblance of, man, 
I don't know the fifth or sixth step, but I know the first one or two, and it's with Christ, and he's going to guide me. But in that, God gives you his burdens, his burdens. This is what I've made you for. This is what I care about. See, a lot of times we just kind of treat God as just kind of a cosmic Santa Claus that has no opinions about what's going on here on the earth or opinions about your own very life. And so here in prayer, as we commune with God, we get to hear God's voice over us, God's voice over your situation, that you're in God's voice over what in the world is going on around us, where he shares his heart for other people situations. This is the space where you commune and talk with God and God talks with you. That's prayer. So whether that looks like you privately in the closet, literally, or in your room, could be driving to work, could be as you take a break, you know, a little work, just with close your windows, connecting with him. Prayer is not just kind of this little one-time check-in through the day. God wants to develop a prayer life through which you're communing with God throughout the day. Not just this little religious check-in. Ah, I checked the box. So I want us to look at Matthew 6 where Jesus teaches his disciples about three main things as a disciple. Generosity, prayer, and fasting. Generosity is not our theme today, so you can look at that later. But here's some main essentials Jesus is laying in. Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And he goes on, this says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, droning on and on, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray then, like this. And he gives us kind of this famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And many of us kind of take this, and many people can kind of take Jesus' words and interpret them of this is a magical incantation of God in his presence. And so I need to get the words right, right? We can kind of say, hey, this is the Lord's Prayer. I need to pray these exact words in order for God to fulfill my prayers. But let's not get in that rut. I want us to see kind of the elements of what part of powerful prayer is all about. And he starts like this. Our Father in heaven, not ruler, not Lord. He presents God, the creator of the whole universe, as a father. Huh. So Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Honor and authority are yours, not mine. So we start off with saying, God, you're a father and you're in charge, not me. Man, that's a good start to a good prayer. Amen, huh? Recognizing that you're not God. Recognizing that you don't have the ability to to control the things around you. The only thing that you have control on a good day is yourself. 
He goes on, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven on earth. This is Jesus' eternal grid and lens by which he sees humanity. When he walks and he sees people, he doesn't see them in their natural state, in their fallen state. He sees the treasure by which God made them for. And he's like, man, my job is to call that out of you. So whether I'm forceful or gentle of spirit, my aim is the same. I want to pull out who God made you to be out into the world. And that only starts with connecting with him. Then he goes on and he says, give us this day our daily bread. God, we look to you for provision. There's so many things that we're looking to our own effort, our own our own ingenuity for our own provision. But here we recognize that, God, you're the provider. God, you provide for us. And he goes on, he says, forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, we look to you for our own forgiveness. God, there's nothing that we can do, no religious act, no, many, no hill to climb that will fulfill the cost of what our sin did to our relationship. There's nothing that we can do. So God, we thank you that you're the great forgiver. But in the same breath, God, we need your forgiveness as the world inflicts its best on us. God, give us your supernatural grace to forgive others. So as much as we want to be forgiven, God says now you're the forgiving agent around you. God, please forgive them. God, please forgive them for they know not what they're doing. God, please forgive them. Can we be a people that offers forgiveness in the same measure that God himself does? Mm. And he goes on, he says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, lead us away from the powers of darkness and the tools they use to crack this vessel. God, guard us. Guard us against those devils. And he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Ooh. 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 A little knife to the ribs on that one, Jesus. That we don't become deluded into thinking that we are favored more than others. That God is not a respecter of persons. And that how we carry God's forgiveness matters to God. Then he goes on. Matthew 6, verse 16. And it says, when you fast. All right, so kind of moving on. When, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they'll ever get. Public opinion. Favorable public opinion. Great. How long does that last? Not eternally. <laughs> Cross the line. Canceled, baby. Number uh, Verse 17. But he says, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. 
So what's fasting all about? What's gained by fasting food? And Paul, in Romans 8, talks about this battle that we have, humanity has, between the flesh and the spirit. Now, many times, and we'll get into this in church history, a lot of times we interpret that as a dualistic way of viewing the world. The spirit is good and pure. Everything material or matter is evil. We must do away with the flesh. And so that's why even this kind of teaching gets in the church and you have the aesthetics early on where they would whip and beat themselves because they were torturing and and punishing the flesh so that the spirit could come alive. Now, they were twisting an aspect of how God made us, and they were perverting it to, uh, yeah, they were perverting it and living in this kind of dualistic world. But God wants us to be fully integrated. So I gave you the, I gave you the full punchline if you're in the church history class. Sorry. Okay. So, but Romans 5, it says, those who live according to the Spirit will set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on the flesh. So as I yield my will and the cravings of my flesh, as legitimate as food may be, it elevates my reliance on the Spirit. It's not that my flesh is evil and it needs to be tortured for my spirit to come alive. No, I'm diminishing the voice of my flesh so that I can pay attention to the voice of the Spirit. Things slow down. When you're denying your flesh, you're denying it, not so that you can just starve yourself. Know that when, when people fast, there is a point to their fasting. There is a burden that God has given them, whether it be their own personal battle, whether it be a battle around someone in their life, in their oikos, in their sphere of influence that they're praying and fasting for. It could be a situation, a job situation. It could be maybe even a national situation. We find this in uh, the nation of Israel, fasting as a nation. So fasting is more about replacing than it is about abstaining. Replacing food with time with Him and conversation with Him and feeding off of the Word of God. Our focus is longing for the power and presence of God over what I naturally crave. Joel 1 says this, Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Man, there's something about this that seems like through time and maybe through the last iteration of the last 120 years has done a number on the church to blind us from the fact that these two power tools change the world, change your world, and therefore, in that world that you're in, it changes and transforms. God speaks, God acts in mighty ways, unusual ways that what you're used to when a person is fasting and praying on a regular basis. And we find here that we are to call for a fast to declare our dedication or to show God that we mean business. This isn't just normal daily living. God, I'm upping because I'm finally seeing the battle that you've placed me in, and I'm overwhelmed by my need of you. 
in that battle. When something needs to change, we fast to foster transformation and reformation. Whether it be a breakthrough with yourself, like I said, somebody around you. Nehemiah 1 says this, as the Nehemiah was leader in the nation of Israel, and he was charged by God to go restore the walls of Israel. After the exile and after the span of the exile, the nation of Israel was let, let go back. But before they were let go, Nehemiah kind of goes out and begins restoring the walls of the nation of Israel. And this was his original call. This is his original vision. And he said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. If you or others close to you are under challenging or oppressing circumstances, it's time to fast and pray. The godless town of Nineveh was pending judgment. And it was about, they were about to fall. Jonah 3 says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. This was a holy, this, was a, this would be like New York. It was just, not that all of New York is, but anyway. Anyway, I don't want to judge a town. But it was like, there, it was a godless town, all of Nineveh. But they got together and they proclaimed a fast put on sackcloth, meaning I'm not going to take pleasure in soft clothes. It's going to grind my flesh. It's like even, anyway, but from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. So they called a national fast. And the results of their fasting is that their lives were spared. If you need direction, how about this? Acts 14 says, when they had appointed elders for them, this is the apostles, when the apostles had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's these apostles needing to make a big decision. How do they do that? They pray and fast. So fasting is not some magic wand. However, as we commune with God, He gives you the wisdom and insight as to what is going on in your life, in the life of the other person, or in that situation. He gives you insight. Daily prayer and regular fasting are two primary tools Jesus demonstrated and taught his disciples. So the question is, how well are you using these tools, these powerful weapons, in your walk with God? How well? How well are you using Maybe the two primary tools that Jesus gives his disciples to see tremendous spiritual and affect tremendous spiritual change. Yet one of the complaints that I hear from Christians today is, where's God? Where's God's supernatural works? Where's the things that I read about in the Scriptures? Where is the works of the Spirit that I see so prevalent in the New Testament? Well, I would say they're out there. God's doing way more than you have the ability to comprehend. But maybe, maybe it's that through the demonic oppression of the church that we've lowered our bar as to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And so we reduce the gospel down to just being saved. Hey, pray our magical prayer, wave this magical wand, and one day you'll go to heaven. But if, if 
we were to actually wake up to the fact that the gospel is way much bigger than just our own salvation, that Jesus came to restore humanity's authority on the planet like he gave to Adam and Eve. And the same dream of taking the garden, God's perfect environment, and spread it to the ends of the earth never changed. Jesus echoes the exact same charge to his disciples when he got that authority back. But then he says, now I'm giving that authority to you. Whew, man, so how are we using these weapons? For Jesus and the disciples, regular fasting and prayer formed God's compass in their life. Where's my direction? Where's my north star? Sailors every night have to orient their ship towards the north star. If they do not, they will have a full night worth of misdirection. So how much when we wake up in the morning to say, God, you're my north star. I'm not going to let another day go by me being just kind of drifting in my own direction. Because God, I know the people that have actually woken up one day and said, oh my gosh, I never dreamed my life would be way over here. How in the world did I get all the way over here? It's just because you woke up every little day and just a little degree, a little degree, in a way that robs you for who God made you to be. The enemy loves us just waking up and going about life. And he's using all of his arrows at his disposal at you. You have to understand. And so why, did, why not we? Why not us? Why don't we use all the weapons at our disposal to push back the forces of hell and be the people that God's made us to be? Amen? Amen. So here's a little summer faith challenge as we wrap it up. You guys ready? Summer faith challenge, here it is. So till the end of August, we can say, okay, yeah, all right, end of August, three months. Hey, summer faith challenge. Here it is. Two things. One, daily prayer. That's it. Just daily. Get in. Get it in. Get it in. Get it in. Get it in. Come on. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. You can just say that all day, and then it's like, hey, let's pray. That'll work out more than me continuing to talk. But anyway, <laughs> for perspective, right? Here is the creator of the universe with a huge open door. You ever walk by somebody's house with an open door? You're like, what's going on? Right? It kind of just draws you in. You're like, hey, is everybody all right? Anybody? Hello? You know? An open door. Here's this open door God has given you to access him and heaven. And we tend to just, oh, that new Netflix series. Oh, man, did you see that? Oh, yeah, we walk right by what you have access to every day. Stop letting the things of the world distract you by this open door that God has given you. Every day, walk in and say, King Jesus, you're in charge. Hey, what's the, what's the word today? What's the word for my heart? What do you, what do you, how do you see me? What, is there any marching orders? God, your word says that you've prepared works in advance for me to walk in. God, is there some today? Is there some of these works that you've prepared in advance in heaven for me to walk in today? God, open my eyes. I don't want to miss those. I don't want to miss those. God, keep my edge sharp, my spirit alive. Come on. All right. Then the second. So just, you know, 15 minutes throughout the day. It's pretty minimally. 
Paul gives us a charge to say, pray without ceasing. And I would submit that there's a way to commune with God throughout your day, not just a little compartmentalized time. But you got to start somewhere, so praise the Lord. All right, second thing is uh, a challenge, summer faith challenge, weekly, one time a day, one time a week, fast. Fast, try it out. Fast food. I know a lot of times we've done kind of a 21 days, and you're like, hey, fast, whatever. But fast food, try this. It's going to unlock something between you and the Lord that is, it's like you go to a whole other deep end with the God who made you. So give that time to him, weekly fasting. Let these, and now it could be, let me frame this out a little bit. Fasting for specific things that God has placed on your heart. Not just kind of like, hey, I'm going to fast, but replace that time that you'd be eaten with time in God's word or time praying, God, this is the situation that's really on my heart. It could be about your own life. could be about the guy next to you at work, and God is really burdening you. God, I'm crying out for this guy's marriage. God, it's about to break open. God, I pray I'm gonna, this week I'm going to fast for this guy's marriage. God, give me insight. This is where followers of Christ have to engage in this next generation. It's right here. And it doesn't begin by us preaching the gospel on the street corner. It begins by bearing the burdens of others. God, I'm going to pray and believe for this brother, for breakthrough, for whatever they need. God, I'm standing with them. Or it could be a situation, right? It's kind of like I feel overwhelmed by so many things that happen in our nation and over our country that I feel overwhelmed like every week it's a different news cycle. And it's kind of like, man, it gets overwhelming that if like I was to keep bringing that up, Week and week and week, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm just getting overwhelmed by the world. So, I tend not to kind of bring all that stuff up, but we all see it. We all know the cognitive dissonance. We all kind of like, man, what in the world's going on? Hey, what about great time to pray and fast for what's going on around us? So let's try these powerful weapons in God's kingdom. Let's try these out. And let's also get expectant for us, as we stand back and see God do what he does through human beings. So connecting with him on a deeper and, in deeper and significant ways, getting the wisdom and discernment we need. And as we grow and walk in our authority that Jesus has given us, man, remind you that you are God's agents in this generation and ambassadors. I want to close with three kind of quotes. First one was a prayer given 300 years ago. This is what it says. John Wesley says, I desired as many as could to join together in fasting and prayer that God would restore the spirit of love and of a sound mind to the poor, deluded rebels in America. <laughs> now, he was English at the time, right? He was right before the Revolutionary War. But so his kind of prayer was like, hey, get them back in the fold, Lord, you know. But kind of the spirit is the same. It's like a spirit of love and a sound mind. It's almost like we've lost that as a nation. God, restore that. How about Dostoevsky, Russian political prisoner in the gulags? He says, obedience, fasting, and prayer are laughed at. Yet only through them lies the way to real true freedom. I cut off my superfluous and unnecessary desires. I subdue my proud and wanton will and chastise it with obedience. 
And with God's will, I attain freedom of spirit and with it, spiritual joy. Spiritual joy. If you've never fasted, there's, there's joy. And I'm not over-promising and under-lived. God over-delivers on your sense of freedom and joy in your fasting. Because it's almost like your will and his become twisted up and intertwined. And you're like, oh, this is the Father that I know you are. And then lastly, I thought this was intriguing. Abraham Lincoln, March 30th, 1863, 169 years ago, he says this on the National Day of Fasting, Humiliation, and Prayer. This is right in the middle of the Civil War. Civil War was live and active. He says this, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. So I pray that through this little summer faith challenge that God, through prayer and fasting, would almost rework your relationship with him. That your reliance on the things of the world, that your reliance on your own thoughts or your own opinions or the own ways you feel is deferred to the God who made you. It's deferred to the vision of God over your life, over his vision over the whole planet. And I think we're in a unique moment in the big C church, culturally, in the story of God. I think we're in a very significant moment. And so let's not waste time with what the world offers. And let's find ourselves just yearning for more of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these tools that you've given us of time with you. And of in that, God, as we fast, God, it draws your presence. It draws the resources of heaven Father, even as we've seen in the life of Jesus, God, when he spent time with you, tremendous things happened afterwards. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would increase our expectation of what you have over our lives individually, what you have over our lives as a family, Lord, Lord, in, in our families, in our homes. God, I pray that you would increase your vision of what you want to see happen, even in our own very home. God, increase, uh, God, this your spirit and your power in the midst of our spiritual family, God. We want to be your people in this hour. We want to be charged with your Holy Spirit and our knowledge of your word to be your vessels, to be your agents. And so, Father, God, we just say, God, we don't have what it takes. <laughs> if we could just get honest with ourselves, God, we don't have what it takes to what you've called us to do. And God, there are times that we feel so overwhelmed God, we feel afraid to engage. And so, God, we find ourselves riding on the bench of your kingdom month after month after month. And, God, I pray that today would be a day, God, that we put a line in the sand to say, God, I am going to be yours and yours fully 
this summer. God, have your way in my life. Have your way in our times with you. Unload your thoughts. Unload your heart. Give us your burdens. Let us be your people. God, we really need you. And Lord, as days goes on, I think I pray that our realization of that grows by your spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Guide us, train us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.